This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. The title today is this. It's called Covenant People. Covenant People. And I'll say this from the get-go, okay? You guys know I'm kind of normally more of what you'd call a preacher. And uh, I try to contain myself today. I'm going to be a little bit more of a teacher, okay? And try to teach you and show you some things out of the Word of God. Um, because I know that... There are some things that we've just got to get a, a, a deeper and better revelation of and knowledge of. And and this topic of covenant is something that the Lord's really been dealing with me on. How many people in here have ever heard of the word covenant? Okay. And so, obviously, it's a word that you've heard if you've been around Christianity for any period of time. It's a good word. It's a Bible word. But like so many words that we hear... I have found that we don't typically have a very deep uh, understanding and knowledge of it. I mean, you know, there's a lot of words that we Christians use that the rest of the world doesn't really use. I was just talking to someone yesterday. I don't remember who it was, but we were talking about the word tithe, for example. Nobody else uses that. That's like that's a Christian or, or, you know, Hebrew word. Jewish people use it. If I go out to somebody and say, you know, hey, man, nice to meet you. My name's Dave. Do you want to talk about sanctification for a little while? They're going to be like, what? What are you talking about? Man, everybody knows what sanctification is. Let's talk about it. They don't know what that, they don't, that's not one of their words. They don't get it. But being a Christian, being one of God's children, are you a child of God today? All right. Hey, you should be proud of that fact. But being a child of God, being a member of the family of God, you should know what a covenant is. And, and you should have a deeper understanding specifically of what your covenant is. And so what I'm getting at is there's a lot of things in scripture that we as a 21st century person living in the Western hemisphere, there's a lot of things that you may not realize it, but we don't fully always grasp the full meaning and context behind it because the Bible is a book from the Middle East. You realize that, right? It It is written in Israel 2,000 years ago and beyond, all right? And so there's some concepts that they're just very foreign to us, and and we try to understand a lot of things from the Bible and put it a lot of times into a very American mindset. And, of course, the Bible applies to everybody everywhere for all time, but we would do ourselves a lot better to see how we can understand it in its true context, and then we can apply it to where we live today, and it'll change your life. It'll change our city. It'll change our America. It'll change everything if we will apply the word of God. Because even though this book is over 2,000 years old, it is the best-selling book every year. I mean, check it out. Every single year, you know, you may see, well, this book's on the New York Times bestseller. That's fine. But every year, for a couple thousand years now, the Bible is literally the best-selling book every single year. It's just there's no copyright to it, to the King James Version, and so you can't list it, as, you know. But at the same time, it's the only book that is a living book. This isn't just some book. It's alive. It's powerful. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It divides between the soul and the spirit. And it says it exposes the innermost parts of your heart. The Bible will put you on blast if you will read it. If you read it, you can't lie to yourself in front of the Bible. You may think, well, there's parts of me I don't want to deal with. If you'll sit down and read your Bible, God will just expose that to you and say, hey, Here it is. Let's deal with this right now. I don't want to do that. It's alive. It's powerful. And it will pierce you to the core if you'll read it. And I can tell you this much. I love the Bible. I'm obsessed with the Bible. It is my whole world. Well, how could you say that? That's Listen, Jesus is the word, according to John 1. 1. The more that I love the Bible, the more I love Jesus, right? And so I love the word of God. It's the foundation to everything in my life. And a central piece to the word of God is the word covenant. And I think we need to understand a little bit more of what that is. Because when you understand what a covenant is, and when you understand that you have a covenant with God, there are certain things that you won't put up with anymore. 
The devil will try to throw something at you and you'll say, wait a minute. No, it says right here in my covenant that I don't have to live that way anymore. I don't have to. And you'll hold your covenant up and say, no, I'm a covenant person. I don't have to put up with that anymore. Or there may be things the devil tempts you to do and you say, no, Satan, I'm not going to do that anymore. I've got a covenant with God. And when I gave my life to Jesus, I said that I would no longer do those things. And you stand on your covenant. And there is so many things in your covenant that if you would understand what belongs to you, you would have a radically changed life. The Bible wouldn't be boring to you. Church wouldn't be boring to you. Praying wouldn't be boring to you. Singing worship songs wouldn't be boring. If you understand a covenant, every time you get a chance to read the word of God, man, you're excited. Just as excited as if you were going to watch Dancing with the Stars. Dancing with Jesus. Come on, somebody. All right. Very good. All right. Well, I see that one over big. I didn't mean to steal your toy from you there, but we'll give it back. All right. So we're going to get into the word of God today, and we're going to introduce and scratch the surface of what covenant is, what a covenant is. Again, this is more of a teaching. I've got a lot of verses today. They will be on the screen. Write them down. Try to keep up. The main, there's several covenants in the Bible. You, I mean, all the way back to Adam and Eve, all the way to us today. The main covenant that we will study is the covenant of Abraham called the Abrahamic covenant. And we'll look at some others, but there, we've got a lot in common with Abraham. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I'm just saying I'm related to him. You are? How do you know that? Well, it's in the Bible, but guess what? You're related to Abraham also. And I'm going to show you that. Well, but I don't think I have Jewish ancestry. That's all right. You've been adopted into the family, brother. You're good. Oh, you're good. All right. So anyway, um, let's pray. And then let's dig into this. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for your word that you left us your word to study and learn and grow with. And God, I pray today that we will approach you with open hearts in Jesus name. Lord, if we've got any blockades up, if we put any walls up to say, well, I'm not listening to this guy. Lord, I pray that we will listen to the word of God and that you will speak to us and that your revelation knowledge will come in and change our hearts and our minds today in the mighty name name of Jesus. Can somebody say amen? All right. So covenant, the first time that you find it in the Bible is all the way back in Genesis chapter nine. But my question for us to start things off with is what is a covenant? What even is a covenant? Because I hear a lot of different things. And so point number one is this is it's not just a promise. What's a covenant? It's not just a promise. And so I've got to I've got to lay a couple layers of groundwork here before we you know can really get to what we're talking about. So one way, okay, one superficial, uh, you know, shallow way of thinking about it, but it is one way to help us understand of thinking about a covenant is it is like a contract. You can say that it is like a contract because in a contract, two different parties agree to certain terms and conditions. Right? You ever signed a contract for something? You know, for your cell phone or, man, you, you have to sign a contract for your Internet bill. And they're not playing around, man. They want their, you know, so they they take these things seriously. And I remember one time, you know, it's funny. People think, well, you guys take this stuff too seriously. Who remembers these things called video stores? Anybody remember those back in the 1800s? Okay. So way back then, um, actually, right after Katie and I got married, our little town didn't have a blockbuster. We'll explain that to the young kids later. But uh, but but we had a place called Mr. Video. And we're like, hey, it's a Friday night. Let's go get a video. And so we just go to this mom and pop video shop. And and the guy at the counter is like, okay, you, you know, you can read this movie. And we're getting a movie. And he's like, I need um, two forms of ID. I need uh, your mother's maiden name, your parents' address, because you guys look young. And then he, go, he goes through like 10 things he wants so I can rent a stinking VHS tape. And Katie was like, you need all this for a $2 video? You guys are nuts. Do you want us to sign our lives away for a video? Yeah, well, we lose like $300 a year on stolen tapes. And we're like, we don't care. Keep your video. We'll go home and find something else to do. But if you think that we take the Bible real serious, nobody gets on to, to Spectrum and Verizon and all these places for taking your stuff too serious. We take our covenant and our Bible really, really serious because it is everything to us. Amen. All right. And so it is like a contract. Contract because each side gives something up 
and each side gains something. And I know a lot of people are like, well, to come to Jesus, you don't have to give anything up. And I would like to think that, but there's a, you do give some things up to come to Jesus, right? And in fact, Jesus said, count the cost before you commit. And and so I don't want to lie to anybody and say, hey, you can come to Jesus and while you're at it, bring your weed, bring your drugs, bring your pornography, bring your cheating ways, your lying, your stealing, your cussing, bring it all and keep it all. No, bring it all and lay it down at the feet of Jesus and walk away from it because he'll take those things away and he'll give you something even better. He'll give you joy. He'll give you peace of mind without any substance having to dope you into oblivion to receive it. He'll bless your finances. He'll bless your health. He'll restore your marriage and your children if you'll give it all to him. Trade it in. It's a lot better of a deal than what you've got going on right now because he's the well that never runs dry. If I'm relying on beer to keep me happy, it runs out and there's after effects. But the blessing of the Lord, according to Proverbs, makes the person rich and he adds no sorrow with it. All right. I said I wasn't going to preach, but I'm going to get back to teaching here. Okay, so. So saying that a covenant is a contract is a introduction to what it is, but it is a surface level introduction because the only problem with saying that it's just a contract is that a contract is a business level, piece of paper level, nothing further than that level type of a deal. A contract is a piece of paper. I refinanced my house back in December and I, you know, I, I liked my mortgage company. I signed a bunch of papers and contracts. They signed a bunch of stuff. I promised them money. They promised me money. And then it was over with. And to be honest, I like them, but I have no emotional attachment to Quicken Loans. Now you know who holds my mortgage. I have, I'm, you know, they're good people. I liked my mortgage guy, but honestly, I've got no emotional attachment. It's basically, hey, if someone comes along with a better deal, deuces, I will see you later because I found something better. That's a contract. It's just business. In a covenant, I'm not looking for something better because I can't. I have bound myself by an oath that I am sticking with this come what may. I'm sticking in the covenant and in the contract. It's not a piece of paper. And that's, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but that's why marriage is so important. I hear heathens and worldly people say, we don't need that. It's just a piece of paper. That's a lie from the pit of hell. My marriage, don't you tell me that those vows I made to that young girl at 19 years old in front of God and in front of a 100 witnesses, don't tell me that was just a shallow piece of paper. We made a covenant in front of God, in front of a preacher, and in front of people that no matter what comes, we will never look back. Whether it gets hard or it gets easy, we made a covenant. If it was just a piece of paper, we could have ripped it up when we were 19 years old, but we said no. This is a covenant. We made a vow and an oath in front of God that no matter what happens, we will never break this covenant. And there's been hard times, but we have never broken that covenant because it's not a piece of paper. So don't ever let anybody tell you, you know, forget all that. You can marry, go get married to a brick if you want to. It's just a stupid piece of paper. That's a lie from Satan to try to diminish and destroy marriage. Marriage is between a man and a woman and God, and it's a real deal, and it doesn't change just because somebody else says it does. All right? So a contract would simply make a covenant just a piece of paper, but it's not that. Now, another step closer to explaining what a covenant is would be to call it a promise. Now, that's a step closer, but it's not just a promise. A promise is a very powerful thing. In fact, God's word refers to itself as promises. In fact, it says that all the promises of God are yes and amen, and that God fulfills and keeps his promises. But to simply call a covenant, well, it's just a promise. That's all it is. It's just a promise. That does not fully capture the deeper meaning of what a covenant really is. A covenant is a contract. It is promises and its terms and conditions. It is all those things. There's terms and conditions. But 
It's all those things with a relationship involved. In all of God's covenants mentioned in the Bible, he certainly does promise to give a bunch of stuff to the other person and to the people group that he's promising, but it's all based on the conditions that they keep a relationship with him. What God is seeking in any covenant that he makes is a relationship. God's main thing is that he loves people and he loves you. Yes, he does want to bless bless you and, and give you things. Well, I don't see it that way. Well, we'll just obliterate your theology here in a little bit with the New Testament. But I can hold off on that for a minute. But God does want to bless you and, and he does want you to have good things in this world. He does want that. But... He wants your heart in return. He's like, I will bless you. I will bless your family. I will bless your children. I want you to prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. I want you to have a good life on this earth before you ever even get to heaven. But I want your heart. That's all I'm asking. I want your heart and your loyalty. And I want you to keep your word to me that I will be your God and you will serve no other gods. That you won't try to serve money and me at the same time. That you will stick with me to the very end till I bring you to your real home. God wants your heart. Now, Ruth in the Old Testament, put it this way, when she made a covenant, you can write this down. You don't have to turn there right now for the sake of time, because I've got a lot of ground to cover. But Ruth, she put it this way. So she she married a guy, and and, and her mother-in-law's name was Naomi. And, and so Naomi's husband dies, and then Naomi's two sons die. So that leaves Ruth and her sister-in-law. They're both widows, and their mother-in-law, Naomi, is also a widow. So there's no men involved, and according to the law back then, they, they, there's no one else to marry. They're going to have to go on and move back to where they came from and find a man to marry. And so I love what Ruth said when she made a covenant promise to Naomi, her mother-in-law. Ruth 1.16, she said, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. That's... That's putting your oath to something right there when you say, you know what, I don't, I, I don't need to go get money and get married. I know in my heart that I'm supposed to be attached to you for the rest of my life. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And that's what I say when I'm part of the family of God. I'm part of a family. Are you God's people? Then you're my people. Uh, there's some of God's people in other churches in town and the state and the country right now. I don't care if they're in this building or not. Those are my people. Why? Because they're God's people. And when I made a promise to God, I'm telling God, hey, wherever you tell me to go, I'll go. Whatever you say to do, I'll do. Your people are my people now. And, 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 and you are my God. And so... I'm going to put this on the screen. You need to get this truth. A covenant is more about the relationship than the goods. Do you get that this morning? That the covenant, a covenant, is more about the relationship than it is the goods. And so, again, I said marriage is a covenant. We've all seen how well it works out when people only get married for money or career interest. They just entered into that covenant for the goods, right? Dude, he's rich. Come on. Woo. Yeah, I'm going to marry him. He is rich. I'm going to marry for money. That's an awful idea. <laughs> Terrible idea. Why? Because you've entered into a covenant and based it on the goods. And a covenant's not about the goods. It's about the relationship. You enter into marriage because you want a strong relationship with somebody you love. You don't just want what they can do for you. And that's one reason of many we see so many, you know, failures in our society because, oh, man, he lost the good job. The money's gone. We can't. What are we going to do now? I don't know what to do. Or, man, she was beautiful. She doesn't look like she used to. I'm out of here. 
What? That's awful. That's awful. You entered into a covenant with the wrong intentions. A covenant can never, ever be broken in good faith and still be blessed. When you make a covenant, you stick with it. Amen. And so. As I said a little bit ago, there's many covenants in the Bible. There's uh, Noah's covenant, Abraham's covenant, Moses, the Mosaic covenant, David, the Davidic covenant, all the way to our New Testament covenant with Jesus Christ, which we will get to in the coming time. But the Abrahamic covenant is a good one for us to look at and study because it's still in effect to this very day. And we are included in portions of Abraham's covenant because according to Galatians 3.29, which we're going to turn to later, we are adopted in to Abraham's family. And so we are by adoption the descendants of Abraham according to Galatians 3.29. But another good reason is it includes many similarities to the new covenant of Jesus that we live under as New Testament Christians. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 15. And we're going to spend some time in Genesis today. Genesis chapter 15. Who's excited to learn today? I want to inspire you. All right. I want to fire you up, but I want you to learn today because I want you to be a more knowledgeable Christian. I want you to have more of a basis and a foundation for what you believe. And then when the devil comes and brings trouble, you can say, no, you can't do that. I've got a covenant with God. Get out of here. Get thee behind me, Satan. It's in my covenant that you aren't allowed to do that to me telling you, you need to know your covenant. So Genesis 15 and verse 1. Now you can find all the pieces to the puzzle of Abraham's covenant, starting in, in Genesis 12 all the way through chapter 21. And there's pieces to it, but we'll get to some of those. But I want to show you something in Genesis 15 verse 1 in the King James. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying, fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. I like the way the King James puts this verse. Modern translations say, I will protect you and your reward will be great. I think that's true. It's wonderful. And that's that's the truth. God said, I will protect you and your reward will be great. But there's something about God saying to Abraham that I am your shield and I am I am your exceeding great reward. Because somebody may look at becoming a Christian or becoming into the covenant with God and say, "Okay, I promise to do this for God. But what's in it for me? There's a lot in it for you, but the best thing in it for you is this. God said, I'm your reward. If you're looking for a bunch of other stuff, I mean, there's a bunch of other stuff there, but it should be a good enough reason for God to say, I am the reward. Because when you get him, you get a whole bunch of stuff that you will never fully unwrap. Have you ever got a gift and you're like, oh, there's more to this than I thought. And wow, over here it does this. And I, I had no idea that. And it could be months and months and years and years. And you're like, oh, I still didn't know that it did this. Man, that's a shallow way to put it. But with God, he is your great reward. And the more I study him, the more I, I've been doing this for years. I've gone to three Bible colleges. I've been dedicating my life to this full time for years. And the more I study the Bible, I'm like, I don't know anything at all. I had no idea that that was part of this. I had no idea. I'm learning every single day. He is reward in and of himself. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need right there. I shall not want. He's a good reward. Thank you for the health. Thank you for the prosperity. Thank you for the protection. Those are all good benefits. But he's enough in and of himself just to let me hang out with him every morning. Just to let me be in his presence. That's more than I could ever deserve. So the reward for serving God is God the Father himself. All right, now let me go nerd level on you. Can you handle nerd level? Pretend you're in class right now, okay? So there's two basic types of covenants that existed in Bible times in the ancient Middle East and Near East. There was two basic covenants. And so as they write the Bible back then, as they write these 
first five books, Moses writes them, and 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 he says covenant, and, and most guys are like, oh, okay, that must have been this type because I can see clearly that these conditions were on it. Now, for us, we hear covenant and we think, well, okay, that just means that God made a promise to Abraham. But the person back then, they would have known that there's two types. Two main types of covenants that were predominant in that culture. And so the first one would be the parity treaty, and that's between equal parties, okay? And so that's two countries or two rich guys that were, they're in the same league as each other. They're like, hey, I'll watch out for your stuff if you'll watch out for mine. I'll take care of your stuff if you'll take care of mine. They're equal parties. No one's greater than the other guy. It's just two guys, two Two people in the same class and in the same league. Alright? And so that is called a parity treaty. But then the second one, now this sounds super crazy, is called the suzerain vassal treaty. And that's between a greater and a lesser party. And so let's say there's a little village over here and they're like, well, we don't, we don't have much protection. We don't have much of an army. We don't have much money. Maybe if we'll, you know, take our little tribe from Barstow here and, and we'll go to, you know, Riverside. They're a big town. And maybe, uh, we'll go into a treaty with them. And, and, and they're a lot bigger than us. They've got a lot more to offer, but, but we'll sign a covenant with them. We'll do things they want if they'll protect us. You get what I'm saying here? And so, it was a greater, there was a greater party and a lesser party. There was one part of the covenant, one person or party entering that was rich and powerful and had a great army. And then there was somebody that didn't have that much to offer. But the greater guy, the suzerain, was willing to enter in because, you know what, we'll take care of them. They could do some stuff for us. Do you get the point that I'm making? And so, any covenant that God makes with his people is definitely one of these, a suzerain vassal treaty, because you are not equal to God. You, he has no equal. It's not like God's, God needs you, like, well, maybe if, uh, you know, maybe if Norma will sign a covenant with me, uh, she can protect me if somebody storms heaven's gates. She could, she could get her family and they could protect the east end. And I could get, you know, Walter and Ilya could protect the south entrance. And I, I really need their protection and help. God doesn't need your protection. Right? He needs your heart and he wants you, but you realize that entering into covenant with God, he has a lot more to offer than what you have to offer. Do you realize that? No matter how rich you are, no matter how smart you are, no matter how good looking you are, no matter how strong you think you are, he's all those things 10 billion times over. This is not a level playing field. Jesus' life for my life was not a fair trade. He had a lot more to offer than what I have to offer. The best that I can give him is all of my heart, all of my everything, and it's still not enough. But this is the covenant that we're talking about right here, is this covenant where there's a greater, more powerful party, and then there's a weaker, less powerful party, but the big guy says, it's okay, you do what I say here, and I'll take care of you, and I'll be on your side. I'll protect you, don't have to worry about raiders coming in anymore and plundering your village we'll take care of you we'll even protect you and give you some money and that's what we're talking about here so is the covenant just a promise or a contract no it's about the relationship not about the goods all right do we understand that okay so now i want to take it on to point number two and that's this i want to study abraham's covenant can we study abraham's covenant for a minute because this, a lot of this applies to you right here. And, you know, it gets me, people that don't understand covenants, you'll look at something in the new, a promise, you know, you'll look at a promise from the word of God. Maybe I look at something here in Genesis, and I'm like, man, I'm standing on this verse from Genesis, and someone will say, oh my gosh, that is, that's old covenant, that's the law, that's the law. You can't, tithing is the law. You can't stand on that. And I'm like, how, how, how dumb can you be and still breathe? I mean, that, listen, not all of the Old Testament is law. You get that, right? The book of Genesis predates the law of Moses. You understand that, right? And so there's several covenants. Abraham's covenant and the covenant of Moses, the Mosaic covenant, those are not the same covenant. And so, yes, there are parts of the Mosaic covenant that don't apply to me. That's the truth. I don't have to go out and sacrifice a goat every time I sin. Thank God for that. I don't like to stab things. 
I don't, I'm, a, I'm a softy, okay? I mean, I'll gut a fish if I have to, but I don't like to stab things anymore, okay? I don't like, that's just not who I am. There's parts of it that, yes, one of my favorite things is when somebody talks about things that the Bible forbids. This is, you know, this is just a pet peeve off the topic for a minute. But if I say something like marriage is between one man and one woman, it's according to the word of God. God makes boys and God makes girls. That's not a confusing thing. It's, you know, male, that's how God made somebody calls you a hater. And like, oh, so I guess you don't eat shrimp either, because in the book of, of Leviticus, they were forbidden from eating shrimp. I'm like, how dumb can you be and still breathe? That's the Mosaic law right there. Duh. Not eating shrimp doesn't apply to me. Guess what? I can eat bacon, too. And clearly I do. Clearly I eat bacon. Listen, that is part of the Mosaic law that doesn't apply to me. Yes, I get that. But the blessings of Abraham, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but the blessings of Abraham literally belong to me, according to Galatians. And that didn't go away. That's the covenant of Abraham. And so, as we study some of this stuff, yes, we may look at the Mosaic covenant and law, and there are pieces of that that did apply to the Old Testament Hebrews before Jesus came and died on the cross and started the new covenant. He did away with that old covenant law of Moses, but this is pre-Mosaic law, all right? Now, if that's, you know, again, we're going a little deeper today than we do sometimes. And so, Moses' covenant can be found, excuse me, Abraham's covenant can be found starting in Genesis. Let's look at Genesis chapter 12. You're already in chapter 15. Just slip back to 12, all right? So Genesis chapter 12. Who's excited to learn some things? Amen? We're going we're gonna to teach you some things. So you're going to be stronger in your faith. Now, there's several benefits to the covenant that God made with Abraham. And again, clearly... Uh, Abraham got the better end of the deal because God has a lot more to offer than anybody does. But one great aspect of Abraham entering into covenant with God is, is God's like, hey, we're allies now. I'll stand up for you. And so Genesis 12 and verse 3, God tells him, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with Contempt, or I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so God says, I'll bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who curse you. And so listen, I tell people this, but if you're a born again child of God, and someone's picking on you, and giving you a hard time, you don't have to take it into your own hands. In fact, the New Testament says, vengeance is the Lord's. I'll take up for you. Give it time. I don't have, you know, I'm I'm not out there looking to get revenge on people that are picking on me because God will bless those who bless me and curse those who curse me. You can't get a, get a, get a, uh, get away with cursing and mocking and poking around one of God's kids forever. He will eventually step in and deal with it himself. Vengeance is the Lord's, and I'm telling you that right now. So don't pick on anybody, but if you want to pick on someone, don't let it be a child of God, because you're going you're gonna to get yourself into more than you can handle. You're going to write a check that you can't cash, right? You're going to get yourself into some trouble. And so God says, I'll bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. He's saying, your friends are my friends, and your enemies are my enemies. And a second part of the covenant of Abraham, and we see this playing out in real time in May of 2021. Right this very week, we're seeing this all over the news, is God promised Abraham, Abraham, you and your descendants can have this plot of land until the end of the world. This land called Canaan at the time And in modern day called Israel, he said, this belongs to you and your descendants until the very end. And it's, well, let me show you a few verses. But everything you see going on right now in the news, you better realize God is on the side of Israel. And people have been fighting over this little plot of land for 6,000 years. But they're not going to get it because God said, no, 
This belongs to Abraham's descendants, and you guys can't have it. Let's look at Genesis 15. Oh, excuse uh, Genesis 12, verse 7. Excuse me, Genesis 12 and verse 7. Genesis 12 and verse 7. And I'm in the New King James here. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And so right there, what land were they looking at? The land of Canaan, where the Canaanites lived. He said, I'm giving this to you and to your descendants. This belongs to you. Look at chapter 13, verses 14 and 15. So what, why are we looking at this? Because I'm trying to show you the covenant of Abraham and how it applies and is in effect even to this very day. So Genesis 13 verses 14 and 15. And so Abraham had a, had a nephew named Lot. He was a lot of trouble. No, I'm kidding. Just a joke. So Genesis 13 verse 14. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, look as far as you can see in every direction. Oh, I'm in the New Living. Let me go back to the New King James. Sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm in several translations. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are. Northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants. How long does that belong to them? Forever. I, I'm giving you. And if you look at a map of the Middle East, and some of you military guys have been over there several times. Do you realize how small the nation of Israel is? It's the size of the state of New Jersey. That's how small it is. Then you look at Egypt next to it. It's giant. You look at Iraq and all these countries that surround it. They've got tons and tons and tons of land, but it's not good enough. They all want this one little strip of land right there. For 6,000 years, they've been fighting over this one little strip of land. God said, I'll give you guys all those hundreds of thousands of square miles. You can have all that, but this little piece right here is set aside for the descendants of Abraham. Hands off. And they've been trying to fight and get it for 6,000 years. And part, why haven't they been able, why haven't they been able to fully capture it and take it? And, and why, why not? Because God said, this is Abraham's descendants. Now there's been raiders, you can study world history, that have displaced them and put them out and done all sorts of things. But in 1948, Israel, became a nation once again. That's not that long ago. 1948, here in the end times, and that was a giant piece of the end times puzzle because Israel had to have that land and be a nation again before Jesus can come back down out of heaven at the second coming of Christ and stand on the Mount of Olives right there. And in fact, all this fighting you're seeing going on right now, they're fighting right there over that little area, the Mount of Olives. Because right now, Jewish people aren't allowed to give prayers up there by by the law. It's on that side. And so only Muslims are allowed to pray on there. And there's fighting. And the Jewish people, like, they've been praying up there. And it's made some people mad. And so, well, we'll just bomb you. Okay, well, we'll kick people out of, you know, you guys aren't taking your taking your part of the deal seriously over here on this neighborhood in Gaza. So we'll just kick you out. So bombs flying back. It's nasty. But you've just got to know that no matter what you hear on the news and everything else right now, you want to be on the side of God's people, Israel. Don't listen to lies and say, oh, they're bullies and all this stuff. That's lies. That's junk. That's trash. God will protect his people. He will bless those who bless them, but he'll curse those who curse them. You better pray that your country blesses Israel and doesn't turn into cursing them. Because if you think things can be pretty bad, you don't want to see what a curse from God could be like. That'd be real bad. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Good news. All right. So God promised Abraham, hey, I'll protect you. Hey, I'll give you and your descendants this strip of land right here. And then he promised, I will bless your family and give you children and descendants. Genesis chapter 15, 15 verses, Genesis 15 verses 5 through 6. 
And so why is that a big deal? As you know, maybe you know, maybe you don't know. Abraham was in his 90s and had no children. And he's like, I'm a colossal failure. I'm super rich, but I have nobody to leave all this stuff to. And so God says, hey, not only will you have one kid, you'll have countless descendants. Genesis 15, verse 5. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. And so Abram's in his 90s and God says, not only will you have children, you'll have more children than there are stars in the sky. And Abraham doesn't say, I don't believe that. Prove it. He says, "Okay, I believe it. And God said, you are a righteous man, Abram, because of your faith. Chapter 17, verses 2 through 5. Told you I'd move quick. Chapter 17, verses 2 through 5. So this is Abraham's covenant that God would protect him, that God would give him and his family this little piece of land over there, and that uh, he would give him kids and descendants. Genesis 17, verses 2 through 5. Genesis 17, verses 2 through 5. He says, I will make a covenant with you covenant by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants at this Abram fell face down to the ground then God said to him this is my covenant with you I will make you the father of a multitude of nations or the father of many nations what's more I am changing your name it will no longer be Abram instead you'll be called Abraham for you will be the father of many nations and the name Abraham means father of many nations. Abraham's wife's name was Sarah, or excuse me, Sarai, S-A-R-A-I. And God said, no, we're changing your name now to Sarah. And that meant princess. And so God said, you got the father of many nations here, and you've got this beautiful princess over here. And they're going to have all these descendants. And somebody looking out that doesn't understand covenant, they say, that's impossible. They're old. He's, He's in his 90s. He's old. But God knew exactly what he was doing when he set this whole thing up, all right? And so this is part of the covenant. God promised them safety and protection. Your enemies are my enemies. He promised them you and your family can have this land forever. It's yours forever. You can have it. And then he promised, I'm going to give you descendants and children. And he also promised Abraham some wealth and blessings, which I'll get to. But Abram had a part. Abraham had his part of the covenant. And here it is, Abraham's part. Genesis 17, verse 1. We're already in 17. Look at verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. And so God's getting ready to make all these promises. And he says, Hey, I need you to serve me faithfully. Who knows that God is still asking you to serve him faithfully? All right. He's not asking you for part time commitment. He's not asking you for when you feel like it on again, off again. He wants us to serve him faithfully. And he said, live a blameless life. Well, none of us have lived a blameless life, but thank God Because of Jesus Christ, if I confess my sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. First John one nine. Amen. And so he tells him this. But here's the other part of Abram's covenant that he had to do. Look at verse 10 in Genesis 17, 10. This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. Now, I'm not going to, you know. Go into all that, but I, that's a little bit weird, right? That's a little bit like, why would you, why would you pick that? Now, here's Abraham, a man in his nineties, and God's telling him, you've got to go have this procedure done. Not only you, but all, all your men, all, all your, all your boys, that they've got to have this done. Now, again, that's kind of strange to our, our mindset, uh, you know, and I don't, I don't really care to talk about that whole topic too deeply, but, There was a purpose in what God was asking in this. You know, there were several aspects to a covenant being cut or made back then. One was that there was a blood sacrifice, you know, and so they would sacrifice an animal, you know, a bull or a goat or whatever that something was cut down the middle and, and, and that happened. And, and, and then there was, there was a mark upon the weaker party, the vassal. 
party. And in this instance, Abraham was the weaker. And so there was going to be a mark left on him. And there was going to be a cutting away of a part of him. And God shows this part. Okay. And, and I, we may not fully ever get the full thing of that. And, you know, I know a lot of dudes, that's kind of a, you know, I'm not even trying to be funny. That's a painful thing to even imagine, but that's what God chose. And so as a New Testament Christian, and I'll just throw this, this is a side note, a man in modern day New Testament, it's not required that you're physically circumcised though you know again this you know whatever your family chooses whatever but it is required that every person receives the new testament circumcision well what is that good question thank you for asking we're going to answer that because god requires us he does require a circumcision in the new testament but he calls it the circumcision of the heart so keep your place in Genesis. Look at Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Are you still with me? I'm trying to cover as much as I can in one little session here, and we're getting there. But in the New Testament, it's not about if you've been physically circumcised. But what we're talking about is the circumcision of the heart that the New Testament talks about. And, and you know, Jewish people hold to absolute required circumcision, right, on the eighth day or whatever. And, and even Islamic people, Muslims, they require circumcision. And, uh, and, and you know that uh, Islamic people would be descendants of Abraham also through the line of Ishmael, Abraham's other son, when he tried to do things his own way. And in fact, I just I was watching a documentary a while back, and this is a sad thing to me, but there are some sects of uh, sects of Islam that even require a female circumcision on baby girls. And sadly, like 60 percent of the little girls don't even survive it. They die in it. But these people are so committed that this has to be done, that they sacrifice their. And I'm like, oh, God, I can't even. That's that's horrendous and awful. Um, but anyway, God doesn't require that uh, as a New Testament Christian physically. But he does require a spiritual circumcision of the heart. And so Genesis 17, or excuse me, Romans 2, Romans 2, uh, verses 28 and 29. I'm going to read this in the New King James. It says, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh or, or on your body. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit not in the letter the letter that means the law the mosaic law whose praise is not from men but from god and so what does that mean for us today the mark that we belong to god isn't something we do to our body it's something we do to our heart so no one can just look at me and say, oh, you know, he, he's got he's got the sign. He's got he's got a cross tattooed on his forearm. That, that's the that's the symbol. That's a one. Well, no, if you want to do that, whatever. I don't care. But that's not how you can tell I'm a Christian. You can tell I'm a Christian because there's a change and there's been a cutting away of the old flesh. And I've got a new healed heart on the inside and it changes everything about me it changes the way i behave now a christian behaves different than they used to behave beforehand is that do you agree with that i mean at least they should a christian doesn't do everything that everybody else does and because of that people can look at your life and say oh well you must be a christian i noticed that he's not doing all this stuff over here they can tell because there's been a change and a circumcision of the heart. And Paul, who was Jewish himself, said right here that that to be a true child of Abraham, he said that it, it, the, the Christian, the born again person is more a child of Abraham if they've received Jesus than somebody that was born with Jewish heritage. And I'm like, that had to tick some people off right there. But he said, you guys over here, you belong more, you belong more to Abraham than these guys who were born into it do over there. Because they're just doing stuff for the outward appearance. They're, they're just doing it for a show. 
you have had a circumcision of the heart. And it's all about the heart. Abram was counted as righteous because of his faith. So, as we can see, the covenant of Abraham, it, it, there was, it was threefold. It was, the, it was the, the land of Israel, countless descendants, the, uh, of which you and I are his descendants, and blessings of every kind, and that, that included financial blessings. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis 13. You got five more minutes for me. Five more minutes. All right, all right. We got this. Are we learning anything today? I'm going to do one of my dad's old ones. Who will give me five more minutes? Five, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five, thirty. No, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So, but we're learning here. So, Genesis chapter thirteen and verse two. This is just hey, when God got a hold of Abraham, Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. Now, this is part of his blessing. God, God blessed him. He was very rich in livestock and in silver and gold. Now, when God uses an adverb like very to enhance a word, he must have actually been very rich. Well, don't, don't talk about that. We're in church. Why can't I talk about things the Bible talks about in church? You know, it, it, it just, it, it gets me how there's, Certain parts of the Bible that even people that are Christians, it just, you say that and it rubs them the wrong way. And they're like, no, I don't want to hear about that. It's in the Bible. Why don't you want to hear what's in the Bible? You should want to hear what's in the Bible. We had an interesting thing happen this week. I won't go into all the details, but getting ready to do a wonderful, massive, massive, good, good financial transaction. Big, really good thing. Been waiting on this for five years. They, uh, the, the, the people with whom I was talking about, I'm not, I won't, you know, give things away, but, but they, they go and they want to check out, you know, well, let, let's see the church you preach for. Let's see the website. And whoa, they looked at our website. My gosh. Whoa, we need to talk to you. It says right here on your website and it's on there. You can go look right now. Our statement of faith, number eight. That your website says that you believe that God wants people to be healthy and prosperous. We'll get, you know, are you, do you want to change that? Do you want to reword that? And we're thinking about it like, why would I want to rechange and reword what the Bible says? Why would I, why would I want to do that? And they're like, well, if you can't change that, no deal. Close the deal. Canceled the whole thing. Several years in the works. Canceled. Because, in my opinion, we believe the word of God. And you will never convince me that God doesn't want me to be healthy. You're too late. I done been through cancer, and I didn't like it. And Jesus healed me, and you can't tell me that he put it on me. The devil put it on me. If you serve a God that gives you cancer to teach you something, I don't want nothing to do with your God. My God said he will teach me through his Holy Spirit. He will teach me through his word. He will teach me through a lot of things, but sickness ain't one of them. He said, beloved, I'm getting ahead of myself. Stop it. He said, beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. If your God makes you poor, I don't want your God. I want my God that said he wants me to have enough to feed my kids dinner. Why do my kids have to be the ones that can't wear new clothes to school? People think that junk, and it ticks me off that the Christians have to have less than, that the preacher especially has to have poor kids. I hate that stuff. And people think that and think that, well, you know, you, you, you should take a vow of poverty. You should. I real, I don't think that I, that the preacher or that anybody else needs to be a billionaire and, you know, I need to ride through the desert on my private yacht. <laughs> no, I don't think that. But why do my kids have to be the poorest ones at church, the poorest ones at their school? Why can't my kids go on the field trip, too? But all the heathen kids that their parents smoke dope and serve the devil, you don't have no trouble if their kids get to go to Disneyland. That is jacked up, and that is twisted people's, Christian people and worldly people. They don't care. If, if, If the... 
I'll say the pimps in Las Vegas, you don't care if they've got a bunch of money. That doesn't bother you at all. But it bothers you if somebody that's committed their life to Jesus, God starts to bless them, that rubs you wrong. You are screwed up, man. You are you are screwed up. God's people and God's children should be allowed to not only live as the, at least at the st- same standard of living as the devil's children, but it's okay if they've got a little bit more. Why? Because we don't just hoard it unto ourselves. We give it out to the to those people anyway. You know, I, I'm just saying. I, I just talked to somebody that's a financial investor and, and an accountant recently, and they said it's funny. All these people you see on the news, all these people that, that are heathens and put down on churches for not doing enough, I do their taxes. And you should see how much they actually give to charity every year. The same ones that bark and make fun of Christians, they give like, they may make 200000 a year and they give $500 to charity. What a crock. Yet Christian, I know Christians in this church that they make, make like $20,000 a year and they give 5,000 of it to the Lord and God just keeps raining blessing. They don't deserve that. Baloney, they don't deserve that. They've got a covenant with God. You don't mess with God's people. So it's a lie from hell that God's kids have to be the poor ones, but it's okay if the devil's kids have the good stuff. Don't fall into that line of thinking. That is screwed up. And so, yes, part of Abraham's blessing was financial, and I don't care what anybody says or thinks. I cannot retwist the word of God to, to, to curtail it to your twisted thinking. You're just going to have to get over that fact that that is part of Scripture. And so, uh, in fact, Galatians 13, 6, you don't have to look at that one, but Abram became so wealthy that him and Lot, the land couldn't sustain both of their herds and their cattle and their possessions. They had to split up because they had too much stuff. It was part of God's blessing and covenant. So my final thing is Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 7. Galatians 3, verses 6 through 7. So why does anything that I just said about Abraham even apply to us? Because of what I'm going to tell you right now. Now, in future weeks, I'm going to get into more of this, but Galatians 3, verses 6 through 7. Galatians 3, verses 6 through 7. And so, we have a lot in common with Abraham. Who thinks that you've got something in common with Abraham? I've got a lot in common with Abraham. We both believe and trust God, and God counts both of us as righteous. You're calling yourself righteous? Absolutely, I'm calling myself righteous. I'm not self-righteous. But I've been made the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. My righteousness has nothing to do with me. It's going to do with Jesus who shed his blood. So, yes, I and you have been made righteous, but not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Galatians 3, verses 6 and 7, it says, in the same way, Abraham believed God and, caught, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Look at verse 7. The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. Is there anybody in here that you've, your faith's in God? It's not in yourself. It's not in your government. It's not in your money. It's not in your wife. It's not in your husband. Your faith is in God. You're a real child of Abraham. Look at verse 9. So all who put their faith in Christ, what? Share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. The blessing of Abraham has come upon us. Now look at, look at verse uh, 29 here. Verse 29. In fact, this isn't on the screen, but look at verse 14 while we're verse 14. This is an extra, an additional verse. This is your bonus verse. It says, through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. So we get the same blessing as Abraham. Look at verse 29. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. I just showed you three New Testament verses that say that you have the same promise and benefits that Abraham had for him. What does that mean? It means my faith is in God 
and I have got a covenant all my own with Jesus. And on top of that, I'm a child of Abraham at this point by adoption. And so Abraham's blessings spill on over to me because I'm one of his descendants. Can somebody say amen today? Amen. Amen. That's exciting stuff right there that we have a covenant. And of course, you can throw this on the screen. I'll quote it one last time. Third John two, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospers. If God wanted Abraham to prosper and be in health, he wants you to prosper and be in health. And anybody that tells you otherwise, hold your covenant up and say, you're a liar. My covenant says I can prosper. I can be in health. I can have joy and peace and the love of God. And you can't talk me out of it. It's written right here. It's in my heart. It belongs to me. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Let's stand up together today. Let's stand up. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.